Blog Talk Radio. Ranger, a Texas Ranger. Uh, I deliberately made him the godson of one of the most famous 
rangers ever, a guy called Frank Hamer, who was responsible for uh, the demise of Bonnie and Clyde. Um, and I did that for a specific reason, and, it, and that had a lot to do with the fact that I'm British. Uh, a lot of people, sorry, not many people know that when World War II broke out um, in 1939 over here in Europe, Frank Hamer was a retired Texas Ranger then, and he wrote a letter to King George VI of England offering a bodyguard of 20 ex-retired Texas Rangers to look after the king in London if the Nazis invaded and got as far as the capital. And when I read that, I just thought that was really cool. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, <laughs> some, as a fan of the Western genre and, and as a fan of, of, of crime novels, obviously, um, I just thought that was really cool. So I, that's, where my, my, that's where the origins of this character in this series began. I just thought, well, actually, if, if, if a ranger is writing to the kingdom in, in England back then offering to, a serious offer of a bodyguard, and I can't think of a better bodyguard than 28 Texas Rangers, um, sure. Then, then it, that's where it spawned. So, um, the, the, that spawned. That's where John Quarry was born. John Q. The novel takes place in the late '60s, which is a great time to set a book because an awful lot was happening in the world then, and particularly in the States with uh, Vietnam, civil rights, uh, the summer of love, the way the world was changing. Um, but the story is a crime thriller, and it starts on the Red River, and it it, it travels across to the eastern side of Texas and a little bit of Louisiana. I'm a big fan of Louisiana. I've spent a lot of time there, a lot of time in Texas. Um, and I don't want to give too much away about the plot, but, but we're talking about an old-school Texas ranger, very upright, very moral, got a good, strong code, single father, bringing up his son by himself, lost his wife 10 years previously to ovarian cancer, but he's not a navel-gazer. He's not introspective. He's, not, he's, he's kind of Texas. He does What you see is what you get, and people readers so far are loving the fact that they've actually got a hero that they can root for as opposed to an anti-hero. So that's where, that's where it all began. Now, I guess, the, of course, the, not only is, is the mystery within the book the, the biggest question, but the character John Q, of course, is mysterious because, um, you know, like you said, you know, this is the first book. This is the, this is the book that fans are going to get the, the, the small taste of, of kind of who he is. So why yeah. do you think that he is the perfect person to launch your new series? Why did you decide to, to, to put it around him? Because I've, I've always, as an English guy, I've, I've spent an awful lot of time in the United States, particularly in the West, and I've always had uh, a tremendous respect for the way that the West is in terms of, that sounds a bit, a bit corny and I don't mean it to, but the kind of integrity right. that you find in the people. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think there's an awful lot of integrity in, in American people generally. I'm, I'm a big American file. My best friends are American. I got married there. Um, but there's something about the old West values, the kind of the you know the upper, the, 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 the white hat, black hat type of scenario, which has kind of got lost in fiction. And I just really wanted to reintroduce it. I just thought, you know what, uh, I, I want a character that people can root for and that isn't isn't fought with demons, isn't self-examining isn't um half bad half good he's what you see is what you get and i just think the world at the moment is such a strange difficult weary place that some a, a, a character that harks back to, to to the old days such as they were is no bad thing um and i based him on a i based him on a on a selection of real people um uh, one there was a guy there was a there was a lawman in, in in Wyoming back in the 70s called Ed Cantrell, who was actually tried for murder for 
being able to outdraw another police officer quicker and, and shot him dead in a car. And he was represented by Jerry Spence in court. I don't know if you remember Jerry Spence, big time lawyer, Silkwood, Randy, uh, Ruby, Ruby Ridge, Randy Weaver. Yes, I know the names. I know the name. I do. Right, I yeah. do. I do remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so I just basically I spoke. I, 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 he was Ed Cantrell was an old old West lawman, but in 1977, not 1877, and as a, and as a Brit, that just mm-hmm. for some reason it just really appealed to me. I saw a documentary about the guy, and I kind of started there, and I then it worked backwards. I made my character younger. I moved into Texas. I set. I moved the book back ten years, um, and I just created a, a life for him on a ranch whereby he's um he's a single father so bringing up he, bringing up a son in the 60s was rare he's got a uh quite a few people backing him up on the ranch old friends so he's so he's got he's, he's real in the sense that he's got a family behind him albeit not blood family um which allows him to do his job because Rangers, even today, there's very, very few rangers that actually cover Texas, and Texas is a vast place. But back in the yeah. 60s, there were even less, and they tended to work on their own. Um, and I liked that. I liked the fact that there was no technology. If you, if he wants to contact somebody, he either gets on the radio. If he's out of, if he's out of range, he has to go and find a payphone. Um, he has to detect crimes in the old-fashioned way, a bit like Shutter Island. I mean, the, the, the comparison with Shutter Island is 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 one that I'm really proud of because I'm a massive fan of Dennis Lehane, I just think that guy's a genius. Um, yeah. uh, in all walks, you know, he, he, yes, he's a thriller writer and a crime writer, but he's so much more than that. Uh, he's, tr- he's just brilliant. Um, and the Shutter, the, the, the movie of Shutter Island is, is, is awesome because of the way that it's almost a bit, you know, it's a bit like the intro here. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. almost a bit over the top. And you think, well, why is it like this? You know, why is, why is all this music coming on when you're approaching the gates? But as, it, as, it, uh, as the story uh, uh, develops and unravels, you realize exactly why Martin Scorsese did that with the score and all the rest of it. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, that's a flattering comparison. But anyway, I, the, I, just, I just wanted him, I just wanted a character. I'd written modern characters, quite a lot of modern, modern characters, but I just wanted to just slow it down a little bit, a bit of a Western feel to it so that the pace of the book is not necessarily at 100 miles an hour. It, 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 there's moments of suspense. One of, one, of the, um, one of the American reviewers recently picked up on the fact that they said that I'd actually done both the mystery element of it and the suspense element of it very well, and normally you either get one or the other, which was a huge compliment. So I'm, I'm, I'm creating a deliberate style, a deliberate feel, and I intend it to last a long time. So I've written, there's two published in the UK. The second one will be out in the US next year. I've written two more, so there's four ready to go, um, and I will continue to do it. And I'll probably progress it slowly. I mean, the first four books cover a year in his life. Um, as I say, he's got a young son. So as the stories develop, as the narrative develops, as the mysteries develop, so does the reader's relationship with John Q because they'll learn more about him, more about his past, more about how things are going to pan out in the future given his, his, his uh, role as a father. Um, and that element is as important to me as a writer as the actual, you know, the plots and the, and the drama of it. Yes, and you, know, and you brought something up very interesting because I'm glad you did because I was going to actually talk about it was, you know, when you're talking Texas Rangers and you're talking the kind of character and the setting, the place that you put it, you're thinking that this is going to be more of action-adventure, shoot them up, run around, and it's going to be a very fast pace. But you decided to kind of slow that down, and, and like you said, and you made it more of a psychological puzzle, and you made it more of a suspense, which is something that is far different from, again, what you expect from a Texas Ranger kind of book. What were the challenges when you decided to do that? Because you know that when you were kind of writing it, 
the character probably wanted to speed things up, and you were like, no, slow things down. And I'm sure there was a struggle between, you know, those two factions when you were writing the book. It's a very good point, John. Really good point, that is. Um, do you know what? I'm not sure I consciously thought about it. I just knew what I wanted to do. And historically, if you read my books historically, they are as accurate as you can possibly get. I've spent huge amounts of time with FBI agents, with sheriff's deputies, with police officers over here in the UK, with the anti-terrorist branch in London, with police officers in Ireland, and I've always, always, always got every single technical detail absolutely spot on. When I decided to do this series, I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a ranger because I love the feel and the, and, and the, I love the essence of, of what, those peop- what those guys are. They, 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 they say about the rangers that they, as a police service, as a police force, they, are, they were shaped by the enemies they faced. Um, and they're not like any other police force in anywhere in the world because they started out as a militia to protect the settlers that came across the Sabian River with Stephen Austin, the old 300, and that's where they were formed. They fought against Santa Ana, they fought Comanches, Kiowa, etc., and they gradually morphed into a police force. So they're, they're not like any, any, any other. Um, but as you said, I didn't just want it to be a Walker, Texas Ranger, no disrespect to Chuck Norris, but I didn't want to go down the route of shoot him up and... And, right. and I wanted it to be much more thoughtful. Which is what Americans would have expected. So this was good. Uh, I guess they would. I mean, to be honest with you, yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, I, quite a few of the reviewers, that have, they're surprised by who this, this guy is. But, I, again, the beauty of fiction is that you can do that. I can say, well, actually, they're not all. I mean, I've, come up, you know, I've met some rangers, and I know some of the ones from the past, and they were very circumspect individually. If you think of the old cowboy, he's not exactly rushing around. He's riding a horse, he's moving slowly, and there's a circumspection about them that, um, that, I, that, that I like. And it's a kind of... All of the people that I've met... All of the, I mean, I've spent a pretty bit of time working on ranches, and I've never met anybody in that, in that western field who is... You know, things do move very slowly. It, it, you know, the people think very seriously about what they're doing, and I wanted to bring that element into it, just to, just to give it that feel of the old west, if you like. And, but obviously, there's, 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 there's drama, there's action in the books, and you, there has to be a balance. But it's, it's a, it's, it's a valid point you pick up on, and it, and it, it wasn't actually conscious. I think, I think it's just uh, trying to get the, the atmosphere I wanted to create. I think it was just the feel that I wanted to generate, and that's, and I, I think I've done it because. I've had some good reviews. I mean, there's a guy called James Reasoner who reviewed it recently. And he grew up in Texas in the 60s, and, and I'm a Brit, so I'm a, I'm a serious alien as far as he's concerned. And he told me that I, had, um, I hadn't quite nailed it all of the time, but most of the time. And, and he liked the book an awful lot and liked the character, liked the fact that I picked a ranger and made him uh, Frank Hamer's godson, but made him different to what you'd expect. So it's, it, I'm, I'm totally expecting that this will be a slow burn in terms of building up the right readership. I'm, I'm, I'm geared up for that. But this is my purpose. I'm 55 years of age now, and this is what I will do till I die. <laughs> now, <laughs> they let me. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's a good thing. I mean, heck, uh, you know, I mean, I think that 90% of the writers that write would love to say, all I want to do is write, and, uh, 90, and, and 100% of those have other jobs. So it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to balance both. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's great. You can be able to do it. I have, that, yeah, yeah. What I meant was I, I'm going to – I intend to write – I mean, I haven't, I haven't had another job for 20 years. So um, yeah. I intend to write – I intend to write this character. I can, I, I, I can see – with all the other series that I wrote, I can never quite see them lasting for a long time. But this I can just see going on. I just – I want to make this my legacy, this sort of series. I want a 20-book legacy if I, can, if I live that long. Um, yeah, we'll see. Cool. We'll see what happens. But – 
Well, let's talk about some of the secondary characters because, you know, you're always talking, you know, of course, you know, John Q kind of gets, you know, the main marquee, but then you always have those secondary characters, you know, that backup band, if you want to call it that, you know, which one, you know, you know, you know, pick out like one or two, maybe that are really, really, you know, important or ones that maybe kind of surprised you when you started writing, maybe became bigger than they were, but, you know, ones that fans just, you know, you kind of see gravitate to as they read through the book. There's a, there's a, on the, where he lives on the ranch, the, his, his best friend is also living on the ranch and he is a uh, mechanic stroke pilot and he's a black guy called Pius Noon. Um, and in the 60s, a friendship between a white Texas Ranger and a black guy would not be that obvious unless they'd served in the military together, which they did. Um, when I created the series, when I created the characters generally, um, I actually wrote a, a novel called The Dividing, which was a young adult novel, and it was how John Quarry and Pius Noon, the two protagonists in this, in this series, how they actually met, and it was set in 1946 in Georgia, and that book is available on Amazon. You can buy it, and that gives you the background um, of the characters. Pius is very important. He doesn't have a huge influence. In, sorry, he doesn't have a huge... Uh, role to play in terms of the pages that he takes up in, in, in the books, but he's in every single one of the books, and he's an integral integral part of, of Quarry's life and his ability to do his job. Um, he's a sounding board. Um, they fought in Korea. He was in the second company of the U.S. Army Rangers, and Quarry was in fourth company, and those two companies in real life fought together. Pius Noon is based on a real man called, and I hope I've got this right, I keep forgetting, Aaron Gilbert, his name was. And he was, um, he was a soldier in the Korean War and part of the black, all-black platoon. It wasn't, it wasn't a U.S. Army Ranger platoon. It was a, a, another infantry. But he was, um, he was involved in an incident whereby he brought what, what was left of his decimated platoon off a hill after being withered by Chinese gunfire, Chinese machine gunfire. He, he brought them down, saved them, was then sent back and refused to go because he said it was suicide to take the men back up to that position. He was then court-martialed for cowardice and sentenced to be shot in a firing squad. That sentence was commuted to life in prison, imprisonment by President Truman back in 1551. Um, but then some lawyers in New York heard about it, got involved, and realized that the United States never actually declared war in Korea. So they petitioned the, 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 uh, the president, and it ended up with Gilbert being sentenced to five years in a federal, federal penitentiary for disobeying an order in peacetime. So I've taken that guy Gilbert's real background. He's dead now. Um, and I've given it to Pius Noon. So he, he's a very real character. He's, his, his background is based on somebody else's reality, and it gives him and John Q a, an affinity which you wouldn't get anywhere else other than fighting side by side in a foxhole. So he's a very important character. He will, he's in book one. He's in all of the books. He will, he will continue to be in the books. And his, his life progresses in a slightly different way. Um, and they, like I say, they, they bounce off each other. Um, you know, they couldn't really get by without each other. And as I was very, very conscious of, not, of, of the fact that, that one's black, one's white, and it is 1967, and it is Texas. And realistically, that yeah. isn't that likely. But as I say, given that they fought together, I read stories about Korean soldiers, because the Korean War was the time when the U.S. Army was beginning to integrate. It wasn't integrated. It should have been integrated fully by then in terms of mixed, you know, the, the non, non-white, uh, sorry, not, not uh, single-colored units or regiments. But um, it, it hadn't been. 
Um, but it was the time when it was. And I read quite a lot of stuff about white soldiers' accounts of you know, fly, uh, traveling by ship from San Francisco to, to Korea, stopping in Hawaii, going to a bar. Black guy wasn't going to get served. Well, if the black guy's not getting served, then the white guys aren't going to drink. And I really liked that. So I thought that's, that clearly was going on. So I built that into the texture of this story at 10 years. Um, but, 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 the, but the characters have got a history. And if you give your characters a history, they're much more real than they otherwise would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of layers that it sounds like that you kind of, you know, that you've kind of crafted here. And um, again, you know, for people uh, that are in the states, uh, the long count is the book of is the book available on in the states yet, yes, or do they have to go to like the UK site and try to get it from that? No, no, it's it's it, it came out favor in favor of the publisher. It came out in October okay, on October the sixth in the states. Um, it's good. it was a. It was. It's. Uh, it should be in most of the shops. It's available on, on Amazon. Um, it'll have uh, Amazon.com, and it's. You know, it's. It's available for the, You know, in the states, it's in hardcover. Okay, good. Now, because you know, because when I'm on the UK site, because of course I go to Amazon and I look around and I see. Sure. But of course, the contract is also out, and so you know, we got about five or so minutes left. Can can we kind of get into that a little bit too? Just because since the book is there, like you said, those two books are out. You also have the other two that are written that are going to come out. So let's say that fans decide, hey, you know, get the long count, love it, want to get in, they get the U.K., you know, and they, they can buy the, the U.K. edition in the United States if they want to, you know, to get the contract. Sure. How, what kind of transition did you did from the long count into the contract and maybe beyond that fans can maybe see a different, you know, Jeff Golvin as they go on as an author? not just the characters, but as an author, what are the things that maybe you kind of changed from book to book that maybe fans are going to notice? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. The, the, the contract, is, it's, it's kind of goes back to what you were saying just now, John, about what you would expect from a ranger. Because yeah. what a little I more action adventure. Yeah, because the con- there's more action. The contract is more, there's more action. He, in, 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 in the long count, He's, John Q is on his home turf. He's in Texas, so he's in his comfort zone. The things are done at his pace. The contract is set in New Orleans because I know New Orleans extraordinarily well. I've got really mm. good friends there, and I've all. And I'm I've going there in December. There yeah. but, so again, I'm going. going, going my, my wife and I are going to New Orleans for like four days in December just to go. Oh, right, you have a you have a great time. It's it's a good, yeah. it's, a, it's a great city. It's a, it's a, you've got to be careful, but it's a great city. I love it. It's got a yeah. vibe all of its own. But what I wanted to do was move him from his comfort zone. So the contract starts with a what looks like a, an innocuous situation that goes on in Wichita Falls, and then that takes John Q to New Orleans, and, and he's in anything but an innocuous situation. He's extremely up against it. So from a writing point of view, I, I wanted to use my... Um, I wanted to use my uh, knowledge and my experience of, of 20 years of going backwards and forwards to that city and, 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 and put my character you know, out of his comfort zone. Cause I often, cause of, because of the sort of places that I went to in New Orleans and the sort of people I hung out with when I was researching, I was really out of my comfort zone you know, to the point where I was quite scared at times. I mean, 
and mm-hmm. my life wasn't in danger, but I was, you know, I was in some pretty precarious situations. So I wanted to put my character in that situation. Again, Pius has an involvement in this. There's more, he's more active. He's, mu- he's much tougher. He's much more like you would expect a ranger to be. And that will be the pattern of the book. Certain situations will demand different characteristics from him. Um, my experience of police officers generally is that they're quite a rounded breed, um, and they, many, many, many of them are as, as you know, they have a concern for the, the perp, as it were, as, as much as they do for the victim in a kind of a warped sort of way, because they're human beings at the end of the day. So all of that aspect comes into it. But equally, I kind of, I kind of infer in book one how tough this Texas Ranger is, and in book two you see that he's a pretty tough guy, uh, but in a realistic, in a realistic fashion, and not a cliched, not a caricature fashion, in a realistic way. That's what I've been told. So I wanted to do that, and I was able to do it as well because in 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 real life, in the in the late '60s, there was a ranger called Joaquin Jackson who's only just died. He died last year, uh, and he actually appeared as himself in a, in a in a Robert Duvall movie last, which came out last year, which was set in Texas. Um, but back in the '60s. He investigated a murder in Texas, which took him to New Orleans, and he was out of his comfort zone, and he just went in and did what he did. So, again, it was sort of couched in reality. But in answer to your question, what I wanted to do was get, was, was was show different facets of of, of how how the characters would would react to to the situations that they're in, and and all of that is based on my own travels, my own experiences, my own um, relationships with cops, criminals, and the 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 peripheral people that go along because I've always taken the being a Brit I have to get as much you know I, have to, I can't just sit here and do it I have to make sure that I'm in, involved in it so I hope that answers the question John I feel like I've rambled a bit there no 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 that's good I mean uh, now so so real quick because we're coming up to the end do you do a lot of um, like appearances in England do you come to the United States and do a lot of conferences do you come over here and talk or, or real, do you I, not I, really I, get involved in that I, I, to be honest, I haven't in the past done a great deal. It's not, I, I will be doing much more of it, and particularly in the States. I mean, if, assuming the books work, then I will be doing as many as I'm, requ- as, as I'm asked to do. And I enjoy it. I mean, meeting the people is great. I mean, I've got this I, – I, I feel a, you know, I, I feel as though I'm treading on toes a little bit because I'm a Brit and I'm writing about your country, and uh, you know, I hope I do it well. It's done out of um, respect and admiration as opposed to – you know, any other reason. Um, so, yeah, I will be coming over there. I do, I do appearances here. I've just been at the Edinburgh Book Festival, which is a big one over here. I do Crime Fest over here. I'm going to be yeah. doing more over there. So, yeah, I, I should be around, hopefully, if people want to make, see me. I'm, what's What's been very interesting is that I've had a lot of Americans here in the UK who've read the books and have attended stuff that I've done, and all of them, nobody's had a problem with the fact that I'm doing it. They've all been quite flattered, really, I guess. They've all taken it as a bit of a compliment that a, that a Brit's doing it. So. And where's the best place for people to find, like, your social media and find out more about the books and, and things like that about you? I'm on Twitter. You can get me at JM Golden on Twitter. Um, I don't do Facebook. I'm not a big social media fan, if I'm really honest. I don't mind being yeah, there. Yeah, me neither. Kind of, well, to be honest with you, John, when I was a kid, the reason I wanted to be a writer was because when I read all these books... I didn't have a clue who the writer was. I, all, I, all there was was a name. There was no photograph. And it was the mystery element of it was marvelous. I loved it. And the kind of the aspect of it's not really about the writer. It's a, it should be about the work. You know, the writer's kind of secondary. It's just the story. I'm, what I want to try and project is this, is this, is this character, John Q., John Quarry. Okay. That's, that's, yeah. He's the important guy. If people forget my name and remember John Q., that's all that matters to me. He's, 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 he's the key. <laughs> It's, a, it's well, almost the, the way it's going in, in writing today. It's like 
people know Jack Reacher. It's like, but who writes them? Oh, yeah, Lee Child. Okay, yeah. But exactly. where's the next Jack Reacher book? So it's like, so I guess once your character has overtaken you as an author, you 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 probably reached the pinnacle, right? <laughs> Exactly. That's a brilliant, brilliant observation. That's that's what I want to try and do. Yeah. Forget it, forget the name and just the character. Yeah. So he lives. You know, James Bond has, has outlived uh, Ian Fleming by some years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sure. Look at Sherlock Holmes and Hercule Poirot and Miss oh, Jane Marple. Yeah, well, that's, that's an even that's that's an even better yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, know, I mean, they're uh, putting the Murder on the Orient Express on. You know, in a new movie, which I always found that was the stupidest way to introduce Hercule Poirot to an audience was the Orient Express because that mystery was the most complex one that she probably wrote, <laughs> but it was also yeah. the most unsatisfying in a way. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I, that I that's, uh, you know, and I know that they do it because it's, you can have this great cast of characters or whatever, but I would have must prefer like, you know, appointment with death or death in the air or death on yep. the Nile, murder in Mesopotamia. You know, there's so many other great ones that they could have done, but, you know, I guess just remaking Murder on the Orient Express again. So, but, okay. But, Jeff, hey. You should... Go ahead. I was just going to say, John, it's funny you should bring that up because my wife said to me last night, take me to see that movie. So I will. Oh, God. You know, you go. I you know get? how it ends. Do you, you want me to tell you? No. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for coming out. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I can't wait. Um, I, and I'm still waiting. I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for a review copy on the book. I emailed your publicist. And I'm like, hey, you can send me the electronic edition so I can get involved in, and read it because I, I, I really love to, uh, you know, check out, you know, what you have going on. And I'm sure a lot of fans over here in the United States should be checking that out too. So thank you again well, so much for coming on. It has been a pleasure, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Jeff Golfin, and the book is called The Long Count. You can find it now. Uh, you go to Amazon, and it's the first in the uh, new uh, John Q. Mystery series that he has going on. And uh, the contract is also out, but that's in the U.K. if you want to be able to do it. Of course, you can go to, you know, both sites and, and get the book. I mean, it's, uh, you know, electronic Kindle just gets right to, your, uh, right to your device, so make sure you go check that out. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back with our next guest, uh, Daniela Burnett. She's going to be talking about From Beyond the Grave. So in the meantime, take, quiz, take a quick listen. See you in a second. Welcome back, everybody, here after the break. Uh, it was a short one, 
Um, and again, we want to thank Jeff for coming on. It's a fabulous sounding book, and I can't wait to kind of jump into it. Uh, I got a little bit of taste with it, and now I'm really excited about the series. So we want to uh, bring back a guest that we had on a little while ago, and she was on talking about the first book in her series, and it was Lead Me Into Danger, and it was a, uh, a Kirby and Longden book. Now she's in book three, and the latest one is called From Beyond the Grave. And we want to welcome back to the show Daniela Burnett. So, Daniela, thanks so much for coming on again. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? I'm glad to, to be back to tell people about my new book and the ongoing adventures of Emmeline Kirby and Gregory Longden. Great. Yeah, thanks so much again for coming on. I mean, we talked with, we talked, uh, with you when you had uh, Lead Me Into Danger out, and then you brought out Deadly Legacy, and now we're in from, uh, into, from Beyond the Grave. So right. you you now in the, now now it's starting to mass itself into more into a series, um, and and now you're starting to really get into it, and you know you got like a thousand pages uh, at least worth of you know work and 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 hard you know heart and soul into these things. So tell us about what you got going on in the book, and you know if you want to kind of go back and start at the beginning and kind of bring everybody up to date, that's great too. So what do you got? Sure. Okay. Uh, just to give uh, people a little review, uh, in Lead Me Into Danger, uh, journalist Emmeline Kirby um, runs into her former lover, uh, Gregory Longden, a jewel thief in Venice. They hadn't seen each other in two years, but she literally runs into him after she witnesses two men try to murder a colleague of hers in Venice. And then, uh, then they become ensnared in a hunt for a Russian spy in the British Foreign Office. And, of course, there are a couple of murders in there. And then they segue into Deadly Legacy, which is uh, about $100 million and in stolen diamonds. And their relationship continues to simmer in Deadly Legacy. And... Um, and that's how we end up in From Beyond the Grave, which takes place in Torquay, in Devon. Um, after all of these um, nefarious adventures back in London, Emmeline really needs to sort out her feelings um, because she's pushing Gregory away, but her heart keeps telling him, maybe I should give him a second chance, but she can't quite trust him. So she goes to Torquay for a holiday, and of course, who should show up but Gregory? And not only does this continue to churn her emotions inside, but he brings all of his secrets with him. And we also encounter someone who, from his past here in Torquay, who just inflames things even more. So now that we're into, uh, you know, from into from beyond the grave and we're back in, you know, and people are now starting to get a lot more backstory leading from, you know, these two Kirby and Longden and, and seeing a lot more things that, you know, a lot more adventures, a lot more backstory that they got going on. What was kind of the main focus that you wanted to kind of get out of this book? Uh, you know, what, what was the separation from the first two that kind of leads this, you know, that, that kind of leads into this one? Well, it, it's, it's the tension. What, what I really wanted to bring out in this book is their, the tension in their relationship. Um, and, you know, her feelings 
um, obviously readers, if they've been following along, they see that she she really wants to get back to him. But the main thing is that she can't trust him. All his secrets are putting that wall between them. And that only comes to the fore in this book. Um, and, you know, he is a jewel thief, which, uh, again, you know, she's a journalist. She's always after the truth. He's on the other side of the law. So that, that, that doesn't sit too well with her, combined with the secrets. So the tension in their relationship is the focus of this book. And this person from his past only seems to um, make that uh, uh, tension, it, it pushes it up a notch. Now, of course, book three is, is, you know, when you're writing a trilogy, book three is like the explosive climax, but when you're writing an ongoing series, it doesn't really do, it, it doesn't really lend itself to do that. But what book three is kind of when you do a series, it's kind of a change book, right? It's kind of one that you kind of start changing things up a little bit and, and you start seeing a lot more of the author than you do sometimes of the characters. So what did you do to yourself to maybe kind of, I guess you want to say, you know, challenge yourself as an author that, you know, people are going to maybe notice, hey, this is a little different Daniela kind of writing style and, and a little bit, you know, change from, from what you did um, just to kind of keep things, you know, keep yourself fresh too. Um, well, I mean, I think for any author, you know, each character is a little piece of the author in some way. You know, perhaps it's it's something you you wanted to say in a certain situation, or perhaps um, you wanted to be more assertive and so on, and you bring that out in your character. So I think each character is a little piece of you. But um, to answer your question, this book is different from the first two, and I did want to focus more on their uh changing relationship. And actually, this book was the hardest one for me to do of the three. Um, because of the change in their, their relationship, because of the ongoing tensions and so on. The other two, it did focus on their relationship, but it was more about the the mystery aspect, the um, the murder aspect. But you also the the, the relationship, the the sus romantic suspense of it was weaved in there. But this one focuses more on uh, their relationship. That's why I took Emmeline to Torquay out of London, out of their daily routines, although their lives, if you've seen them in the first two books, are far from humdrum. But that's why I wanted them to get away. So it's, the focus is just on them and their changing relationship. Gotcha. And kind of when you start looking at the future and kind of going forward is mm – -hmm. You know, are you going to uh, – are, are, is, is things going to maybe take a different, you know, little turn, a little different direction? Um, you know, as you kind of grow as yourself as an author and you read more and you see more things that kind of go on like that, do you kind of, you know, lend your stories to a little bit more, you know, real-life things, um, to a little bit more tensions and things that are going on in today's society and stuff like that? Well, I mean, of course, you know, what's going on, it, it does affect, uh, you know, like storylines that come to mind and so on. But I, I'm uh, to, I am progressing their relationship. I'm actually working on book six. The, book three just came out, but I'm working on book six. So their relationship does continue to develop in the other books. And 
I did have, like, before I even started writing Lead Me Into Danger, the first book, I had the idea for the first few books in my head because it is a series and because these characters do go on. And, of course, everybody changes, you know, uh, everybody's relationship changes. In real life, you know, nobody stays the same. Of course, elements of your, your own nature stay the same, but everybody changes. It's just the natural progression of things. So, you know, I wanted to show that, and I think it does does show as the books progress because I leave a little something in one book, I develop it a little bit more in the next one, and so forth. That's cool. And and this is kind of where your world's going to sit. I mean, this is right now where where you're living. I mean, you're not thinking of anything outside of, of this series, right, as, as far as writing or anything else? Uh, at the moment, no, no. I'm just, yeah, my Emmeline and Gregory's adventures are the only thing that my mind is focusing on. You know, I'm going to continue with them until I can't think of any more trouble that they can get into. And then sure. if I get to that certain stage, maybe I'll start a different series. Yeah. I mean, now how difficult, like, is the marketing aspect, of course? Because, you know, a lot of, I mean, even if you're a best-selling author, it doesn't make a difference. You're still doing your own marketing and you're still doing your own stuff. Yeah. And I guess that that's, you know, the hardest part is, I always tell people the easy part is writing the book. The hard part is getting people to buy the book. So yeah. as you, you know, progress, you know, through that maze of, of every other author and you're trying to grab the attention, you know, how has it kind of been for you? Uh, you know, what are your struggles in, in kind of trying to get that, uh, you know, that aspect of, of your writing career going Marketing is the hardest thing. It's always been yeah. the hardest thing, like social media and, and so forth. I was not on Facebook until I started writing the books because for me, social, it's like I'm a writer. I, I don't have time to do all this social media yeah. stuff. I hate social and, media. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Goodreads um, yeah. and I have my website. I, I don't do Twitter. Um, but the, the marketing aspect is the hardest thing because for me, it's like I write the books, but you know, I understand that that's part of being an author. So, you know, I, I'm growing a following, you know, I, I hope more and more people will start picking up my books, but yeah, social media and marketing, that's like an ongoing daily struggle for me. Yeah, and now when people say they're on Goodreads, yeah. I never understood what that means because that's just like reviews, isn't it? I mean, I don't really go on to. I have so much other things I got to look at. I, I'm not, I never understood what that means. Well, it's it's sort of like Facebook. I mean, you have a page, but you know you can tell um, you know your fellow because a lot it's readers and and fellow authors that are on Goodreads. It's targeted to that. You know, Facebook it's all different kind of people. So you know it's people who read, which is what an author wants to target. So you know you have a page like I would have on Facebook. I post my latest items. They're all different kinds of groups. Goodreads to me is sort of like. Um, like a whole bunch of different uh, book clubs, and they have different focus groups. So you're trying to target readers, which is what an author is always trying to gather more of. So that's why I want grid. Yeah, I, I, I just, I mean, I, it's it's funny when you're trying to navigate around through those waters. Yeah. And and, and you know, and and writing the book is always the most important part. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to write the best book you can, and and this is you know, and the best series that you can, and this is what you're you know you're putting together. But I, it's just always sometimes it's just so difficult. You just to just try to do it, and I see it all the time, and this and that, mm -hmm. and it's like you know people ask me questions. Well, what do you do this? And I'm like you know, if I had the answer, 
believe me, I would tell y'all, I charge you, but I would tell y'all, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what it I don't know what it is. I have no idea what what, what to tell everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, like, it's the hardest thing. You know, like, that's why, you know, I'm, I try, like, with each book and so on, like, you know, wonderful people like you that give me an opportunity to tell readers about my books. You know, I try to do blog posts. I try to do interviews like this to garner more readers. It's just, there's no magic bullet to this. <laughs> yeah. Now, within this third book, did you introduce somebody, uh, did you introduce any new characters that, that are going to be extended beyond uh, this book? Yes. Yes, there there is one new character that would, will go on. And who's that? You got it. You, you can't, uh, his you name his name is is Nigel Sanborn. Uh, he's the corporate counsel for uh, Sanborn Enterprises. So uh, he he's a, he's a little bit of an enigma in this book, but he'll be developed more. And um, he does. Emmeline is a journalist, and if people remember from Deadly Legacy, um, she was she was fired from her job at at um, the time newspaper so she's looking around for another um venue to continue like either in in newspapers and so on and of course sanborn enterprises does have magazines and newspapers and she is an offered a job um by nigel um as the editorial director of investigative features at the clarion which is uh, their paper the sanborn enterprises paper so he's going to continue now there's um, there's another woman. Uh, well, there's a woman that's introduced in this story. That's the person from Gregory's past. Well, I don't want to say too much more about this because it does it's the focus of the book. But her name is Lady of Lady Veronica Cabot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now the other thing is I kind of noticed when you when you mark a book, you know, and and the name from Beyond the Grave. Yes. That always kind of leads to, you know, the past. And, of course, you say, you know, buried secrets can kill. Yes. And that's kind of the tagline. When, when, you, when you kind of put that out there, and it is kind of the past, I'm, I'm trying to focus my question so it doesn't sound stupid. Because um, <laughs> no, I know what I want to say, but I'm stupid. like, okay, I'm going to sound stupid. Um, no. Okay, so – but when 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 you when you're thinking of, of of bringing this out from the past and yes. you're bringing this forward and now it kind of becomes the present and the future. Yes. How tough is it to weave that? I guess to weave the puzzle because you know fans are very fickle and if you mess up a color or something they're, they're going to get on you. So when you're when you're going from the past and kind of moving it forward and making mm-hmm. that now part of the storyline. And now that you say you're in book, you know, six and going for, how is that kind of dynamic? I, I, you know, because that's always intriguing when when you go when you have book one and two, and then you kind of jump back, and then mm. you're going to have to try to jump forward. Well, I mean, it it the from beyond the grave, the title has it. It hints at two things in this book. One, this woman from the past, Lady Veronica Cabot, and something I leave dangling at the end of this book. Again, yeah, see, about, I knew that. I knew, uh, I knew. I, I, knew well, you were going to you know, do something like that. Like, I have to get readers to go to pick, put one yeah. to pick up book four. See, so I, I have to coming. leave them hanging. I almost said something. Yeah, I knew <laughs> Whenever they do in the past, they always go in the past, and then it's like, then, then there's, then you still leave that that unanswered question that drives yeah, yeah. people bonkers, and then you might not answer it until like two books later. Why do you well, guys well, do no. that to us? 
Well, because you you want to read, you want to know what's going on, don't you? Oh yeah, <laughs> drive us nuts. You authors well, drive readers okay, crazy. I, 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 I will, you'll really have a little cool. bit of pain the way I leave it at the end of this book. You have a little bit of pain biting your nails till book yeah. four, but but things things do get resolved a bit in book four. So I will let you know that at least. So that that should ease the tension in your mind a bit. Yeah. So now, <laughs> when you kind of cliffhang them. Um, yes. And, and you're clipping three into four or two into three and, and into those kinds of things. Is it does, does it does it kind of pigeonhole you? Does it, I mean, no. and what I mean is that you you've kind of had that cliffhanger out there in three, but then by the time you start you know working on four and whatnot, you're you does it ever come down to the point like oh my god why didn't I do this because this. This would be so much better if I would have done it this way, but I've kind of pigeonholed that I kind of have to now do it this way. Does that ever conflict ever get into your head? Um, not really, because I leave okay. a little something else hanging at the end of book four <laughs> for you to yeah, go to see, book you five. Do, you do get it on purpose. It's kind of mean. But, um, it's not mean. Which, it's is, not which mean. is good, you know, but it also almost then tends you to lead that you have to kind of read the books in order because – no, actually, you don't. You you don't have to. You know, each. Oh. I mean, it's better if you do because you see the progression. But right. each book is standalone. You you would be fine if you would pick up book three and that you hadn't read Lead Me Into Danger or Deadly Legacy. But I mean, uh, naturally, of course, it would be better if you could follow along how uh, Gregory and Emily's interactions. You know why they're doing things a certain way. But you you would be fine if you only picked up from Beyond the Grave, which I I hope you don't. I hope you pick up the other two as well, but you would be fine if you just started now with From Beyond the Grave. Okay, yeah, because that, that would seem to be like the perfect way to say, no, you know, this is, this is the right way to, you know, read it. It's, can, you've kind of written it that way, like you said, when you kind of put those, those little things in there, and then it's yeah. like at the end. And so, uh, now, what else, you know, uh, I, I guess we can kind of go a little bit forward, you know, so when you're going four, five, and six, you know, what are people going to notice? What are people going to see? What do you got going on well, in the future with them? Let's see. One book focuses more. Like, let's see. Book four will focus more on Gregory's secrets again and his past, and yeah. we leave something else dangling. Then, then there's something in book five about um, Emmeline, something quite shocking about her, her past. So, you know, we have that balance. Everybody has a past. Everybody okay. has secrets. Um, and now book six will take off from there. So I don't want to tell you too much about book six because I, I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now. So Yeah, and things can change up. But yeah. but, the, the, but as far as, like, the villains go and those things. Oh, how, yeah, we um, have villains. <laughs> right. So, but, you know, that, that's the other thing about when you're writing a series like this is that you kind of have – you have the story that goes on within the story, and then you have those underlining storylines that, that kind of you know, run like a river through all of the books. So when yeah. you're trying to create a villain that fits within that mantra of that other river as it goes through because they have to progress a certain way, um, how difficult is that for you? Well, again, it's, it's, um, the, the villains are, have to do with the crime and the past, like the history of how that crime came to life. So that's how everything is connected. Like all the little, the, their past secrets, um, the crime, and how that touches upon the secrets of the past. 
Okay. But when you're creating the villain, though, yeah. how, you know, what kind of personality traits or things, you know, really have to be kind of important in order to make that character a part of, like I said, kind of like a part of the, um, you know, that, like I said, that river kind of storyline and series. So it all still kind of fits together. Well, that's because, uh, let's see, they're, they're like, they're jealousies. There's um, feelings of um, you need to have revenge. And revenge, you know, once these types of, of emotions build, then someone quite unstable will turn to murder when they think they're, 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 all hope is lost and there's no other way to um, punish or feel for, for them to feel that punishment has been served. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm a villain guy. I love villains. and I Because lo- I always think that those are the ones who, you know, kind of make a book. Um, you know, the heroes always, you know, the heroes are the heroes. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of know what goes on and this and that. But I always love I always love those villains, and I always love to know, you know, how authors have to put themselves in kind of like that dark space that they don't mm-hmm. really, you know, they don't live personally. I mean, you know, you're not a killer. In, in <laughs> no, I would are. hope not. <laughs> but if you are, you know, that's fine. You don't have to tell anybody. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, so I always was, you know, so it, it always, you know, kind of did intrigue me about having to kind of do those things and, mm-hmm. and, and how difficult it is for authors to, to kind of get to that dark place, right? Yes. Well, I mean, you have to think of it. A criminal is some it, – it's, it's a, a lie. They're, they're always trying to hide something, to hide a crime, to hide a lie, to, to hide something that is, is not quite nice. So that's the sort of, you know, underlying um, characteristic of a villain. They're always hiding something. They've done, and they know they've done something wrong, and now they have to hide what they've done. And if someone finds out what they've done, well, then we have to get rid of them. True. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I mean, do you go to a lot of conferences, and do you do a lot of, um, you know, research with the craft of writing? Uh, you know, and things uh, like that. I don't, you know, do you, I, I, because I, I, I work full time, so I, I don't uh, have time yeah. to, uh, to, to go to conferences. But I, I do do a lot of reading, um, you know, especially like uh, at writers that I, I admire. You know, I, I like reading articles, you know, what their thought processes are, because, of course, every writer is different. Everybody works differently, but it's interesting to see how your fellow writers work. Um, but I am, um, and, and one way we're going to do this, um, on November 4th, I'm going to be a panelist at um, an event called uh, A Mysterious Affair in Princeton, which is taking place in Princeton, New Jersey. And it's um, ten of, uh, the, the, around the region here in New York, New Jersey, uh, crime mystery writers, and we're going to be talking about all aspects of mystery. So, of course, it's something like that. I'll, I'll definitely learn more and um, see how others um, plot out their stories and so forth. Okay, yeah, because, you know, it, it, it's constant, you know, there's a constant change in, in writing and, and yeah. books and things like that that are going on. I mean, even though you kind of see a lot of the same, I don't want to say the same, same plots, but you know what I mean, it's kind of the same kinds right. of things. You've got to try to, you know, get that one I guess, kind of character or, you know, book to kind of stand above the crowd. And I guess that's the yeah. hard part. That's the hard part, you know, for you guys that you guys have to do. And I mean, I, I don't envy you. I don't envy you guys at all. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. At least we have someone in our corner. That's very nice to know. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work. You guys got a lot of work going on there. So, yes. um, where's the best place for people to find out all your information besides okay. Goodreads? Oh, besides Goodreads, <laughs> I, I'm 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 on Facebook, and I right. do have a we- I do have a website. It's DaniellaBurnett.com. So, uh, and there's there's an email address on my website. So, if anybody wants to drop me a little note, feel free. I'd love to hear from them. And um, as I said, if um, anybody is in the New York, New Jersey area on November 4th, I'll be at A Mysterious Affair in Princeton, which takes place at the Solly Theater in the Arts Council of Princeton. So there's a place where I can uh, have a chat with That's you. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, just to, I'd, I'd love for people to look me up and dip into my books. Yeah, sounds great. Hey, well, Danielle, we want to thank you so much for coming on again. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And, uh, you know, hey, book three, it's starting to starting to take a lot of shape now. So, and, yes, and you, like so. you said, you got four, five, and six going. So I guess we'll have to, uh, what are you, about an eight-month cycle? Or how far along is your cycles before the next book? Uh, you know, before it, well, the it, it really depends on each one, but it, they tend to be like eight months a year. So um, okay. well, the, the number book four, which is called A Checkered Past, will be coming out in fall 2018. And then okay. book five will be coming out in fall uh, 2019. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a, so that you know that's a good um that's a that, that you know that that's a, that's a good schedule, yeah. you know I think eight months is good. I think I think I think you I think now if you're unless you're a major major author, waiting a year is almost too long out of people's heads. I think that that six to eight months kind of range is kind of a good thing. It kind of keeps uh, if you can write that fast and and mm-hmm. write good books that fast. It's a good way to kind of keep uh, you know readers engaged. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank well, you very much for having me on you. again. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, it has. So thank you. Enjoy, and we will talk with you later. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. So again, everybody, that is author Daniela Burnett, and you can go to DanielaBurnett.com for more information on her latest book, From Beyond the Grave. It is the third in her series um, from Deadly Legacy, and the first one was Lead Me Into Danger. So you might want to check those out and see uh, everything that she has going on, great mystery novels. We want to thank Jeff Galvin for coming on and talking about his book, The Long Count. Again, um, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find out everything that you want to know there um, about all the other past shows and everything. We can. We got four of them. We got four shows that are on the on the radio network and something for everybody. So until next time, we want to thank you guys all for joining us. It has been a pleasure. Happy weekend. Halloween's coming up. The next magazine will be out right on Halloween. So until that time, everybody, keep reading. See you all next time. Goodbye.